Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, starting at verse 7, we're going to read from verses 7 through 11. I want to remind you, as I am reading from the New International Version, there is a, a issue I have with the translation where it says sinful mind or, or sinful man, um, sinful nature that is used throughout this section in what we talked about last week, and I don't believe that it's an accurate translation based on what others have said in other translation. I believe a more accurate translation is the flesh. As I said last week, we are not a bipolar spirit. We have been born again. All things have been made new. And so we don't have this duplicity of spirit, but we do carry about the flesh, the momentum of our flesh, of our memories, of our past, of our habits, of our ourselves. But we have been born again. We have been made new. And it's important to understand that distinction. And so where it says the sinful mind, I'm going to say the mind of the flesh, or sinful nature, I'm going to interject the flesh. If you have another translation, it'll flow. Uh, if you have the New International, you'll see what I mean. It says in verse 7, The mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the flesh, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. What I wanted to talk about this morning is what's so different about us who call ourselves Christians. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not a, a Christian and you wonder, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? And I think a lot of times we have wrong ideas or misconceptions of what it actually means. We, we think being a, a Christian is going to church or being a Christian is following a set of rules and regulations. And I think you might be surprised at what Paul declares it means to be a Christian, and I think us as followers of Christ should take notice of what it is that makes us different, what distinguishes us from the mindset of the flesh, as Paul describes here. One of the things that he talks about in verses 7 and 8 is, is the, the flesh is a number of things. One of them is it is hostile towards God. It cannot submit to God's law, and it cannot please God. Now, what is he talking about here? What does he mean the flesh is hostile towards God, cannot submit to God's law, and cannot please God? Well, we're talking about rulership, if that's a word. We're talking about who runs your life? 
Who do you submit your life to? And you see, the flesh, the person who is naturally minded, is motivated by what they desire and not what God desires. And we see a, a few examples of this in Scripture. In 1 Kings 18.21, we see Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. He presented them, who are you going to live for? Who are you going to follow? Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What's he talking about, God and money? God and the natural things. God and the things that are physical. God and the, or the things that are just what we see, what we touch, what we feel. You can't serve God, who is spirit, and serve the natural tendencies of your flesh. You can't. Your flesh is hostile, resistant to those things. It, it cannot please God, doesn't even desire to please God. God asks of us to be holy, to be separate, to put ourselves in a place mindful of him, led by him, and our flesh craves the natural tendencies, natural appetites, and the two are opposed to one another. And so Paul is starting out with this foundation, and we're going to talk about five things that are different or that God says separate us and are marks of what it means to be a Christian in these verses. The first thing that we're going to look at is Christ in you. Notice that he, he says in verse 9, you, however, are controlled not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, Christ in you. Now, I love it how it says, you, however, might say, but you, depending on your translation. And so Paul is talking about, there are those who are just mindful of the things of the flesh, but you, who call yourselves Christians, you who take the name of Christ and own it as your own. That's not how it is with you. With you, it is different. You're not controlled by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And I love how it says, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Some translations will say, dwells in you. And the word that is used there for living in you is the word oikio. And it comes from the word house, which is oikios. It means home, familiarity, or influence. And I love this idea because I think we can all wrap our minds around what home is, especially if you haven't been home for a while. If you've been on the road somewhere, staying at hotels or at relatives or at friends' house, and then you finally get home and it's like, ah, it's my own bed. I, I can, you know, walk around in my pajamas. I, I can, you know, relax. I can take it easy because I am home. It's not a hotel. It's not an office building. It's home. It's where I am familiar. 
It's where the influence of my tastes are seen. You know, our home reflects the things that my wife likes in decoration-wise. They don't reflect my likes decoration-wise. <laughs> but that's okay, because I don't really have any, you know. I have guitars hanging on the wall, you know. Lord of the Ring posters in the living room. I never grew up. What can I say? You know, no, Gandalf is cool, hun, really. I'm sharing too much, aren't I? They reflect what she likes, and she likes maps, and, and she likes antique kind of globes and things. And it's really neat because God has put on her heart that, you know, the Lord is reaching out to the uttermost parts of the world. And so her idea is, I like maps showing the world and all the places that God is reaching out. And it has her influence. Well, if Christ is in you, he is comfortable, he is familiar, and he has influence. The influence is him towards us, not us towards him. He's God, we're not. We don't influence God. Yeah, that'd be a scary thing. But he should influence us. And so what Paul is saying for the first thing is that Christ is in us, that he dwells with us. Turn to John 14 real quick with me. John 14, starting at verse 16. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor or comforter to be with you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. To be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, this is a powerful passage. Even as we're looking in Romans, we're talking about the Spirit, and then we're talking about Christ dwelling in us. And it's like, well, is it the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, or is it the Spirit of Christ? Why are those names interchanged here? And we actually see a powerful presentation of the Trinity just in this passage. As Jesus talks about him not going to leave us comfortless, but he was going to send for one, the Spirit of truth, who is going to come. He will live with us or be with us, but he is going to be in you. And he's going to dwell within you. And then he tells us what that means in verse 18. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The Spirit's going to come into you. I'm coming to you. Well, who is it? Is it the Spirit or is it Jesus? Again, they're one. They don't have this problem of competition. You know, no, I'm going to go in. No, it's me. No, it's me. They talk as if they're the same. They are one. And so the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, they are the same. And it is Christ in you so that we have an understanding of God and who he is through the person of Jesus Christ and recognition that he dwells within us by the Holy Spirit. This is the first mark that it is to be a Christian is that Christ is in you, that he has made his home within you, that he dwells within you, that he is familiar with you and is influencing your life. Christ in you. Important thing, when the Holy Spirit is in you, 
Christ is in you. The second thing it says is that you are in the Spirit. Now, we kind of see this back in verses 7 and 8 by seeing what it is to, to be in the flesh. The mind of the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it. Those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. But you see, you are also in the Spirit. It's not just that the Spirit is in you, but you are in the Spirit. What does that mean? The flesh hinders you, and it forbids you from coming to God, which would mean that the Spirit enables and empowers you. So where the flesh keeps you from, the Spirit brings you to. And not only is the Spirit in you, but you are in the Spirit. I love how John Piper says it. He says that we are in the sway of the Spirit. Have you ever gone out body surfing or been out in the ocean and you're out in the water and your feet can just touch except for when the swell comes? When the swell comes, your feet kind of come up off the ground and then you go back in. You're in the water and the water is around you. You are in the sway of the water. You are moving, but you are also being moved by the water. What's great about this? The Spirit, not only in you, but you in the Spirit. You are controlled by the Spirit if the Spirit lives in you, verse 9 says. He is not on the outside pushing you or barking orders at you. That was the Ten Commandments. That was the law that Paul has been talking about through the book of Romans. He's not on the outside trying to push you to do something. He's on the inside. And you are in him. And you are moving and flowing with the Spirit. It's a great thing to be free and to do what you really want to do when those things are what God wants you to do. And you see, that's the whole point, is he will put his Spirit within you. And you will be in the Spirit, moving and living as God wants and directs you. That's what it is to be a Christian. We are not controlled by the outside pushing, but from the inside directing. Just as the flesh hinders, the Spirit now enables and brings us to God. We belong to Him. Verse 9, it says... He does not belong to Christ, those who are in the flesh, but we belong to him. You are not controlled by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And so the third thing here is we are controlled by the Spirit. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if you do have the Spirit, you do belong to him. Now that's important to recognize that we actually do belong to Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, oops, that's not it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 through 20 it says, "Do not do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with the price. Therefore, honor God with your body." You see, you belong to him. And it's interesting because it gives two different ways that you belong to him. You belong to him in habitation in that he, your body is the temple. He dwells within you, but 
That's not the only way that you belong to you. You've also been purchased by him. You've been bought with a price. So not only does he dwell with you and is in you, but he has also purchased you. You belong to him. You are not your own. Again, the contrast, the flesh lives for itself. It cannot please God. The person who lives in the spirit belongs to Christ. His home is in us. We've been purchased by him. Our lives do not belong to us. They belong to God. Now, this is where a lot of people have a a difficult time trying to say, well, that sounds a little weird. You know, I don't know if I want to give control over my life to God. You know, that's kind of a scary thing. Really? How are you doing with your life so far? Everything going good? No problems? No mess-ups? You've got it all together, I imagine? There's no needs in your life. There's no area where you have a problem with yourself. You see, that's the crazy thing is we all know what's good, but none of us can do it. Because the flesh cannot please God. I know what God desires. I know what's right. I know God tells me how I'm supposed to live with other people, that I'm not supposed to be contentious, that I shouldn't lie or be deceptive. I know the things that are right and the things that are wrong, but I can't even live up to the standard that I know of. And you're telling me things are okay. You see, the truth is you cannot please God. Even what you know you can't live up to. But you see, if you've been bought, and if the Spirit of God makes his home in you, now we're talking. We're talking about a change that takes place from the inside. Not from the outside following rules and regulations, but from the inside change of the heart. Remember what Jesus said on the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, he didn't say, blessed are the righteous. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you're hungry, it means you're lacking. It means you don't have food. I'm hungry. That means I want food. Blessed are those who hunger, who don't have it, but desire it. See, God is more interested in your desire for him than just your actions for him because you can act a certain way and not have the desire. You can be religious and not have a heart for God. And we talked about this Thursday when we talked about there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And and I do want to make clear, as I, I said Thursday, I kind of hammered on this point God is more concerned with your desire than your actions. Doesn't mean he's not concerned with your actions, but he wants the actions to come from the heart. See, the reason I love my wife isn't because I have to. The reason I love my wife is because I desire to. And there's a big, big difference. If she felt, well, I have to love you, you're my wife, Happy anniversary, here's some flowers, happy birthday. 
I got your card. Yeah, I just went down, you know, had someone fill it out, put it out. It's not my words, but, you know, it's good enough. It doesn't mean anything. If I'm not there, she'll pick up on it right away. It has to be the heart. And God has banked on love, that he will change our hearts. If the Spirit is in you, you belong to him. You are in him. He dwells within you, and you have been purchased by him. So the third thing is we belong to him. The fourth thing is in verse 10. Your spirit is alive forever. It says, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. I think it's great that Paul brings this contrast that your body is dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because of righteousness. We have to recognize, and verse 23 says we still wait for the redemption of our bodies, that this flesh is going to die. There is no getting out of it. It has to die. We recognize this. We understand this. We, we see this. We wait for the redemption of our bodies. We, we don't have to wait for the redemption of our bodies to be spiritually alive. The righteousness is ours now. In other words, even though this body is going to wait to be redeemed, our spirit is redeemed now. It happens now. It is the down payment for what is to come. You've been purchased. You've been bought. I've redeemed you. Your spirit is quickened. You are alive now by the righteousness. Now, whose righteousness is he's talking about? What does he mean by raised from the dead or your spirit is alive because of righteousness? Whose righteousness? Well, we know it's not ours. It's Jesus. We're alive because of the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us, that has quickened us and made us alive. And he brings that point home. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. That's a powerful statement. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is able to quicken your mortal bodies. Now, our mortal bodies aren't yet quickened. They're not yet made alive, which will bring us to our final point. You see, your mortal bodies will also be raised. That's one of the benefits of being a Christian. That though this body must suffer corruption, it will be raised in incorruption. We have that promise. In 1 Corinthians, I missed one here. 1 Corinthians chapter, boy, I missed it. Turn to 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting at verse 50. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot 
inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he's just explained that to us. He's shown us the contrast, the hostility that the flesh is towards God, the enmity it is with God. It cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to him, and he will raise this body. He will change it. The Bible knows nothing about resurrected spirits. Jesus was not a resurrected spirit. He said, touch me, see, flesh and blood. Spirit does not have flesh and bone, as you see I have. He's the only one we know who has a spiritual body. And it's pretty cool, some of the things you can do with a spiritual body. You can show up in rooms, all of a sudden not have to open doors. I'm looking forward to that. That would be kind of cool. There is a resurrected body that Jesus says is ours. That God says, I will bring your corruption to fruition and make it incorruptible. The perishable, our flesh, will be changed and become imperishable. I will finish the job for you. And you see, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is the evidences of what it is to be a Christian. Get to the right one here. Christ is in you. You are in the Spirit. You belong to Him. Your spirit is alive, and your mortal mortal body will be raised. That's what it is to be a Christian. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, you probably thought, really? I thought a Christian was someone who did these certain things. And if you're a Christian, I want you to notice what's missing in this list that Paul gives to us here. What's missing is us. It's all about him. It's Christ in us. We're in his spirit. We belong to him. Our spirit is alive because of him. And Our mortal bodies will be raised. It's the work of God that takes place within our lives. To be a Christian is to surrender and give the pink slip of your life to God and say, I need you. Can you take care of this for me? Would you purchase my life? I yield myself. I desire you. It's not about the things that you do. It's about who you belong to. It's about God making his home in you. It's about you being in him and working in the sway of the spirit. 
It's about belonging to him, being purchased with him and him making his home within us. It's about being alive in our spirit, aware of who God is and allowing him to speak to us and direct our lives that we are led now by him and not by our natural desires. And it is the promise that our mortal bodies will be raised. That's what it is to be a follower of Christ. Now, there's a word that appears all throughout this, these verses here, and it's the word if. And we can't minimize the word if because that's the difference between flesh and spirit. That's the difference between life and death. That's the difference between you living your life for yourself and you living, or you living your life for God. It's the big question. If the Spirit of God is in you. And that's the question that is being asked to all of us. Is the Spirit of God in you? Do you belong to Him? Are you in Him? Has He made your spirit alive? Do you have the hope of the resurrection? That's the question. That's the big question. That's the question that God is challenging each of us with. Last week, when I went up and saw Cynthia before she passed away, she couldn't talk really much, but she still was coherent. And Russ shared with me when we came back another time, he said, you know, the last time that she was really alert and aware was when you came in and shared with her. And I shared with her from John 14, where Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you but if I go away, I will come back, come back and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. You see, Christ is in me. I am in him. I belong to him. My spirit is alive because of him. He's made the down payment. I have been redeemed. Redeemed means bought back. I have been purchased by him and he will come for me and he will come for you if you are in Christ. And so this isn't about joining a church. This isn't about being religious. This isn't about a list of do's and don'ts. This is about having a relationship with the living God and allowing him to be comfortable in you, have influence in you to change you from the inside out. It's the only way it happens. And so many of us are trying to get God's favor and we're trying to get right with God and we come to church even though we hate it. Hopefully that's not the case, but we, we, we come to church and it's a labor and we're one man, I just got to, yeah, I got to do that because I don't want to go to hell and I got to do these things and 
where is the relationship? Where is the influence of God in your life? Where is the desires of God changing your desires and your flesh and moving you in the sway of the Spirit so that you can hear the voice of your Father and you can follow after Him and you can now represent Him as He, Christ, is, so are we in this world. I hope that gathering together is a joy that you look forward to the time when we can come and talk to one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, when we can open the scriptures up and be ministered to by God and directed so that we have vision and clarity in how God wants us to live, and that we desire to come to God. You ladies, Tuesday mornings that you say, oh man, I can't wait till Tuesday morning. Oh man, that study is so great. I love hearing those things. You know, you, you're just feeling this pull towards God and he's changing you from the inside out. And you're wanting to be there. You don't have to be there. You want to be there. You're hungering. You're thirsting for righteousness because he's made his home in you. I pray that's the case. I pray that's the case. And if you're not sure, you can be sure, because all this takes place by faith. That's what Paul's been talking about throughout the book of Romans. The just, the righteous, will live by faith. They will trust in God for what he has done for them, and it's enough and he'll take it from there. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this has been clear. I, I pray that I have made this clear, that I've brought justice to the things that are described here in this passage of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a Christian. And Lord, as we've, we've looked at these aspects, these five things that are evidences or part of what it is to be a Christian, Lord, they are all contingent on if. And Lord, there's no doubt some who are here who are, are not Christians. Maybe they've gone to church. Maybe they've been unaware of what it really means. And perhaps this morning there is an awareness of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, what it is to be a Christian. And that question, if that's before them, needs to be answered. And Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and allow them to respond and, and no longer it be if, but it be a surety, I am. That God's Spirit does dwell in me, that I belong to him, I want him to make his home 
within my heart. I want to give you opportunity this morning to allow the Lord to take this role in your lives. There's a room for rent in your heart and you have to allow God to take that place. And if you want to, if you want to, all you have to do is ask. And I want to give you opportunity to ask, not by literally speaking out, but just by raising your hand and saying, I'd like the Lord to move in to my life. I would like to be controlled by his spirit. I would like him to make his home within me. If you would like to do that, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you? God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Father, you see these hands that have gone up that want the surety of you within their lives. Lord, they have asked. That's what you said we need. That if we would ask, we would receive. Lord, I pray that you would empower them and fill them with your Holy Spirit even now, Lord. That you would dwell within them and bring them the surety and confidence to know that you have made their home, your home in their lives. Father, help us to live lives that are in the sway of your spirit, that are moved and directed by you, that yield to you and not to the flesh. Lord, we take this and receive it by faith. We hold on to your promises. They are ours if we are in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you have made it possible for us to be in you. Bless these people here. Bless us, your church. Help us to live lives that honor you. We do ask it in your son Jesus' name. Amen.